hello and welcome everyone to the TPM podcast. This is Michael Francis speaking, coming to you from behind the board. And I am joined today by Andre Nelson and Matt Almquist. How are we doing, guys? What's up, as Hap- the kids in the 90s would say? Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness it's not the I 90s. appreciate you bringing that back. And you're you're not a kid. <laughs> so, well, we, were, uh, we were kind of 90s kids. That's true. I feel like That's we missed, true. at least I missed the was up thing. I, I kind of, well, actually, both Michael and I lived outside of the popular culture realm until later in life. So we may have just, I may have just missed it. It's generally possible. Yeah, we were a little bit too much in the hick land. Though Andre, Andre was kind of a suburb kid. Yep. You were a suburb kid. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Well, today we are talking about spiritual disciplines. Um, this is, I believe, the fifth or sixth installment. We'll have one more after this. And spiritual disciplines are common practices within uh, the Christian walk that are intended to draw us closer to God. Um, these are things we've talked about praying. We've talked about reading scripture. And one thing we're diving into in this series is really about the motivation behind it and why we don't often do these things. What are the inhibitions to making these disciplines? Do we feel like we're doing them out of ritual or out of obligation? And where is that coming from? And why don't why don't we as individuals, uh, Matt, Andre, and and I, really follow through on these things often? So, I think this series has been great for me to just convict me and make myself vulnerable as I'm vulnerable with all the listeners. But that's been nice as well. All six of our listeners because our three moms After plus all. three others. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, and it, it shows a lot of our personalities too. But speaking of personalities, uh, Matt has to describe a recent personality test, which everyone loves personality tests. I feel like people have love hate relationships. Personality oh yeah. Tests. You either are obsessed or, you know, mortal enemy. Oh, man. I, I love my Enneagram because it describes me. I hate my Enneagram because it puts me in a box, right? It's kind of like that dichotomy. I feel like everyone's in the Enneagram right now, and I don't remember what I am. There's too many of them. You're an ENTJ. That's not the Enneagram. That's <laughs> you hound. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's my point exactly. I can remember four letters, <laughs> but out of bad. nine or whatever personalities that are on the Enneagram, that, that's just too many for me. I don't know. Actually... Okay, now the Enneagram is back. I actually retook the Enneagram for the first time. The t- nine types, that's the Enneagram one, right? Yeah. Um, I took it in college, right? And I was a two. And that one made sense. The need to be needed. I feel that. I'm a two-ing one for all, all the Enneagram folks out there. And my wife's kind of into personality tests. Not, not majorly, but you know, enjoys them to help you understand who you are and understand your blind spots. I think they can be helpful for that. So we were retaking the Enneagram a couple weeks ago together just to confirm a few things. And we're only on the free Enneagram sites because why pay for it? <laughs> and then I took one. It gave me a six. And then I took another one because that didn't seem right. And it gave me an eight. And six was my lowest category. So oh my. <laughs> I don't know what I Michael, am. you get what you pay for. <laughs> there are a few consistent rules in life, but you get what you pay for is one of them. See... I, the dollar menu at McDonald's would disagree with you. <laughs> that is high quality for a low price. <laughs> what is? McDonald's, if you're going to sponsor this podcast, <laughs> I have to make that joke once every time. Yeah. 
But so Enneagram confuses the bejeebers out of me. I can't do it. Every time I ask or someone asks me what it is, I have to ask my wife because she knows what I am because she has all the memorized. Um, but I don't. And so maybe that's just a crutch for me. But there is a new uh, personality test out and it was created by the billionaire investor Ray Dalio along with an organizational psychologist Adam Grant um, and I honestly don't know enough about it to tell you more than that but I took it um, because uh, a mutual friend uh, posted it on LinkedIn and I wanted to take it because it sounded good anyway so it's called Principles You and it's you take a couple hundred questions you answer how you do in different scenarios and I think a lot of it's focused on like work settings how would you do professionally um, anyway, so I took it and uh, alongside me, a fellow, well, I'd rather a former TPMer, Brad, he also took it and you can compare your scores on it. Anyway, all this said, it ranks you in a lot of different categories. And on there's one of them that is how humorous are you? How, how well do you do with humor? And just like, what's your appetite for it? Both Brad and I score sharply in the very low column, which is just like a <laughs> no. dagger to me. I don't know. I feel like I don't I'm not I'm not just like a curmudgeon, but I don't know. Maybe I am. No, Maybe no. I've just really not known myself the whole time. Oh boy. Game over. <laughs> you are a curmudgeon. I'm a complete but it's funny because then we were talking about it because we've been trying to think about um what you know, so we're talking about evangelism today, and here's how this is all gonna loop in. <laughs> <laughs> I promise, guys, there's a point to it. Well, okay, yeah. You just blew the intro, but that's fine. That's fine. Usually I do that. Oh, well, I'm going to... You already introduced the topic. That, that's fine. They, they clicked. They saw evangelism when they clicked the that's link. That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> no click. Yeah, there right are here. no surprises. <laughs> on, on that's that's right. We're, we're taking you guys along for a ride. But back in college, um, we all we all did a good bit of evangelism. But Michael and I specifically, um, were, we had a, a little bit of a ministry of um, evangelizing to people in the Mormon community, in which there were many of them at the University of Minnesota where we attended. And uh, we would go out like actually trying to get them to evangelize to us. And then we'd flip it around on them and start asking them the questions. And so it was a little bit of a bait and switch. But I we were talking about it because... We listened a lot. We, <laughs> yeah, that's so. true. But we uh, they would always have some activity to try to draw you in, like slack lining or hacky sack or something that you, you, know, you do in college because you're cool back in the days hacky sack <laughs> and i just never had time for i don't it. think that was cool even when we were in college <laughs> but maybe for you matt anyway uh, point, yeah you didn't have time for it i didn't have time for it i was like guys let's just get into it i know you want to evangelize me come on let's go i'm like i didn't have any time for this time to mess around i'm like let's go anyway so i'm i'm in this crushing period of my life now where i realize i have no humor to me so do what you want with that but matt, I'm, i think i'm disappointed funny. I enjoy your laugh when it gets high and squeaky. Like the <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't actually do that. I just wanted to see him laugh right now. Uh, yes, uh, personality tests are funky. Um, but we are here, as Matt mentioned, to talk about the spiritual discipline of evangelism, which I think can be one of the scarier um, disciplines that are out there. I mean, it's, it's putting yourself out there for sure. Um, I'm just trying to think through a way to talk about this. One, evangelism is a kind of a loaded term, but I like to think about it as sharing your faith, right? And that starts to put sharing your story, sharing your faith. That starts to put into perspective for people who are in that agnostic or atheist realm of what's your story? How did you get here? What what drives you? What do you care about? And I think that's the that's the 
point of evangelism that I really like to dive into is is sharing my story and then and then helping people meet people where they are at in their stories and seeing uh, seeing that where Christ can help, but that they need Christ and that He could save that. But what are your guys' thoughts on uh, stories on evangelism or um, evangelism sharing your faith in general? Yeah, I am glad you point out that it's a loaded term. I think that's something that comes to mind for me very quickly when we start even saying the word evangelism. It almost makes me cringe a little bit because I know that it's just a very churchy word and it's a very scary word. You know, I would even say for reasons different than you point out, it's it's <clears throat> got so many associations with um I would say ill-motivated <laughs> evangelism. So, you know, the way that I would approach or describe evangelism is very similar to what Michael said when it comes to sharing your faith and sharing your story. Uh, I think of it as a very, uh, I mean, well, and we can get into it, but relatively non-confrontational and non-shaming. like I think that's maybe where some of the worst connotation for the word evangelism comes in is when the assumption is made that it's this time that is very like accosting and and uh, presenting all these truths that we hold to be true, but for the purpose of making people feel bad about themselves and about what they believe in. And that's just never how I've thought of it and understood it. And um, it's been much more comfortable and, and of course, understandably much more well-received when when taken from that, that side. Have either of you run into uh, like a uh, fire and brimstone street preacher on the corner just yeah. shouting down? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Quite often. But was it working for them? Um, yeah, that's always an interesting question among an interesting debate among Christian circles as well is um, <laughs> and it it always revolves around this one side will say they need to hear the truth. They're all sinners and they're all going to hell, right? And the other side says, no, we need to love and not not necessarily not hide the truth, but also just love others. And the funny thing is the Bible says, speak the truth in love. That's uh, Ephesians 4, 5, which as I'm learning more in life is life is not a black or a white, but you have to meet in the middle. And it's a balance to things. As one, we have to share truth and be bearers of truth, but we have to do it in a loving fashion that is, as Peter would say, and I believe First Peter, have our answers seasoned with salt. So they taste good. Um, they're a sweet aroma of, uh, to Christ. Um, yeah, so the effectiveness of fire and brimstone preaching, I think, is definitely a debate that we could go on all night. I would tend to lean that it's in the lower effectiveness, but I'm open to uh, other opinions on that. No, I, w- I would agree. Um, I, I've never really t- talked to someone, at least in our circles, who really feel like that's the best way to do it. But... I mean, obviously, people are out there. Um, I've, I've seen some that are, like, really bad, just telling people straight up, "There's you have no chance of being saved. You're going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it, <laughs> which I kind of wonder what their point of being out there is at that point. <laughs> um, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I certainly um, have had plenty of experiences. I, I went on a, a mission trip my the summer after my freshman year of college to North Myrtle Beach, which is actually where I met my wife. Um, fun fun side effect of going on mission trips i guess 
And well, uh, it's COVID times. We can't talk about side effects. <laughs> uh, triggered. Sorry. Um, but we we spent the whole summer just doing evangelism. Um, we we worked, but we spent a lot of time just working on going up to people, random people on the street, and trying to talk to them about their faith. And it was a massive, massive um shift for me in the way I thought about it. And it was really difficult for me for a long time because there's nothing natural to me, at least maybe it's my personality, just to go up to someone and start talking to them and not only start talking to them, asking them questions about the things that are most critical to their their inner being, their identity, what they believe about life and death, meaning and purpose. Um, I think that's really hard to do. And it, it's scary. It's really scary. Um, and I, I think in a lot of ways it's normal to be scared um, and that's something that took me a long time to get over. Um, and I honestly, I don't know if I ever fully got over it. Uh, it's still something I struggle with when I, when I try to do that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I was on, I took that same trip, um, and not the, not with Matt, but a, a year or two after that. And yeah, it, it's really a transformative time for you to just get in the habit of doing that. Just like anything else, being in the habit of doing something takes a lot of the, the sting of it away, you know, but then, but that's not, uh, you know, one time for all time thing. Cause now I'm sitting here and kind of with the same perspective as you saying, Oh, I almost can't even imagine <laughs> doing what I did then. You know, it, it's, but, but it really was eye opening to see like, okay, pe- people actually do want to talk about that. You know, like they people do. are concerned about they do th- these things. And I think we, we make up in our heads a lot of just assumptions about ah, nobody wants to talk to me about this thing and you know whatever but it's really surprising I, I found yeah well this goes to maybe a little bit of a rabbit trail but you guys are starting to talk about it I don't think it's your personalities and this is something that um, I can talk more about all the the sh- sharing that or the conversations about this at the U that I had but um, one thing I noticed was it's not personalities necessarily it's wildly countercultural to walk up to somebody and have a conversation with them of any depth. Like if you have, if you walk up to somebody today on the street and you just start, you know, sitting at a bus stop with a person, it's not weird that you would talk to that person. It is weird if it goes beyond the weather, the sports, or, you know, the person shouting across the street that just tripped over the sidewalk, right? Like there's just the the shallowness of the weather, the sports, or what's happening directly around you is like the three things you can talk to a random person about. And that's kind of the cultural box of conversations with somebody you don't know. At the same time, even with people we do know, very rarely, except with our closest friends, and I think a lot of people don't have friends that do this with, is really dig deep and say, what do you believe? Where are you going? Where's your heart at? And people are yearning for that kind of connection and wanting to be known so badly. The desire to be known and heard and felt and loved is so strong and people aren't getting it met in places. So yes, on one hand, it's weird and countercultural to have these conversations, but I don't know about you guys. I would always go into a, a sharing time or you know a time to talk to people and think, oh man, nobody's going to want to talk to me. And I would always be surprised. Yeah, one or two people would say they're busy or not go very deep, but most people would start opening up and I would have a 20 to 30 minute conversation with a stranger talking about their life. And just listening to them for a while. So I think that's something that I've learned is, yes, it's weird to do. And people will give you a weird eye for a few minutes. But when they see you're genuine and just there to listen and talk to them about their life, people will open up like, you know, a blossom, especially if the Holy Spirit's behind it. 
I, I was reading a study a couple of weeks ago and it, it had nothing to do with evangelism, but it was talking about, you know, how comfortable are people. And I think it was primarily based for in America, how comfortable are people to having real conversations? And like, I think specifically it was being asked personal questions. Mm. Um, and there was a whole bunch of criteria around what to find that, but um, there was a massive discrepancy between what people thought others would be comfortable with and what they themselves were comfortable with. And that's interesting, right? Because it, it lends, you know, the, the suggestion is that people are okay having these conversations, but there's this cultural impediment to doing it. And so I would agree, Michael, both, you know, with that, but also in my own experience, people, not every time, they're not always going to um, open up to you. Maybe they're busy. Maybe they just simply don't want to, and that's okay. But um, I, I would encourage people, yeah, it's, there's a lot of people out there who are e- eager, frankly, to have these conversations because they're probably not getting it from a lot of the people, either in their family or at work or their friends. People need to talk about this stuff to process. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about how it is can be a discipline, right? So in in college, we were part of a community that would do this on a regular basis, and it was you know we kind of had a scheduled time um, where you would go to the student union, and and there's just so many people hanging out. It's a great environment to take up those conversations in but in my memory it was like this time wednesdays at whatever o'clock you know you'd go to do that and so that was like this thing that you could be you know hold yourself disciplined to do uh i i I am obviously it's different in life after college and after that very unique environment to live in so I'm wondering, what do you think it looks like to maintain this as a spiritual discipline uh, in life as we know it now? That is a excellent question. That's something that I know I've been pondering in my own heart is, you know, all three of us work uh, nine to five, not those exact hours because Andre works at 4 a.m. or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> But as we work jobs and we're just, you know, chugging through life and we aren't in a dedicated student group that's really doing that. What I I would say to, I have a couple points floating around my mind that are scripturally based, but um, I'll discuss one and and hear from you guys. But when I was, when I was um, coming into this evangelism or sharing your faith, I was really hesitant about doing it kind of in a very abrupt and abrasive way, right? Where you just go up to somebody and start talking to them about your faith. And one of the leaders in my life, one of my mentors in college, shout out Mike Moy, um, asked me the question, Michael, do you love the students at the U of M? And that hit me and I was like, sure, Mike, yeah, I do. And then he repeated it. Michael, do you love the students at the U of M? And I started to see what he was getting at. One, it, it, made my brain think of John 21 where John or Jesus says to Peter, Hey, feed my sheep. Yes, Lord. And then Jesus repeats it. Feed my sheep. Yes, Lord. And then Jesus says it a third time, Peter, feed my sheep. And it, in the Bible says Peter was hurt because Jesus had to ask it a third time because Peter realized something. And I did too. And that was that, Hey, if I, if I love my fellow students, if I have a burning desire for them to love others, then I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it because in John, it says that we will show our faith by our love, by the way we love each other and love others. Um, And that was the first step is a motivation of a a brokenness for the lost is how it was put. And that was the first thing. I think the first ingredient in the soup of 
the spiritual discipline of evangelism, one of the first ingredients is a love for the lost, a love for those who don't have the hope you have. Um, what do you guys think about that first ingredient? I, I'm 100% with you, Michael. I, I've really struggled at different periods in my life to, um, to do evangelism as a discipline. You know, the, of course, it looks different in different periods of time, but especially after graduating and moving into the corporate life, um, I found it really difficult to, to do that. And, you know, eventually you realize like, oh yeah, I remember, remember those times in my life where I was really involved in, in sharing my faith. Um, why don't, why don't I do that anymore? And, and there has been time where I, I really had to stop and ponder. And that was the conclusion I came to. And it was, I am not truly loving my neighbors, my coworkers, my friends very well. Um, and it made me think of the verse in Matthew 22, uh, and I guess this passage is specifically verses 36 through 40. And uh, the Pharisees ask Jesus, they say, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So he's saying, all right, these, these are the top two things you have to do to follow my teaching. You have to love God and love your neighbor. And I think that's really well identified and, and really fulfilled in evangelism. You're glorifying God. You're, you're showing his love to other people and you're caring for people because if you really want to love them, you're going to point them to the truth. You're going to say, guys, there's an eternity that is dependent on what we believe now. Maybe this is worth thinking about. Let's do that together. Let's walk through that together. Um, and it's worth being a little uncomfortable about and putting others before yourself. So, yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah, I. it's funny. I, I think just bringing this up to people is to help others because from a Christian worldview, we all know that we ha- we had, I, Michael Francis, had a God-sized hole in my heart that only God could fill. And it's only filled when my identity is in Christ. And it, from my worldview, everybody has a God-sized hole that they're trying to fill. They're trying to throw the next wonderful thing, the next uh, vice or idol, money, power, fame, sex, identity, relationship, into that hole to try to fill that. And by giving them and offering them the truth, and talking to them about it, we are giving them a picture of filling that hole that they all desire. So it's a, a great way to love others. Um, another thought I had was going back to your point, Andrea, on disciplines is looking at some scriptural examples of sharing your faith and why they were effective. And I want to base this off of a verse in First Corinthians to preface this all. First Corinthians eight, uh, two and three. Um, The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. And one of the real reasons I love that verse is it it links the idea of loving someone to being known by someone. And that idea of our love is shown by knowing others. So with that in mind, one of the first examples of, of sharing your faith or evangelism in the Bible that I can think of is Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman the first time that Jesus reveals himself as the Messiah to anyone. And he was alone with the Samaritan woman. There's a ton of important things about this story, but why was Jesus's evangelism or sharing of his faith effective to the woman at the well? Some are rhetorical, but you guys can answer it if you want. 
you can think through that story, what what made it effective where the, the gal's eyes lit up? Well, he he told her specific things about herself. Yeah. He had he had knowledge of her. Now in Jesus' case, it was a supernatural knowledge, right? He knew that this lady was had five husbands. <laughs> um and that's what made her realize that he was a prophet. My point being with this is if if we know people, our ministry is going to be that much more effective. What does that look like in sharing? I think one thing that can really push people away from evangelism is the feeling like, oh, I need to, I'm here to convince this person to make a decision for Christ. And I didn't like that approach. My approach to sharing, my goal in talking to somebody was to get their number. And by that, I mean to start to build a relationship with them. I'm there saying I have capacity in my week to talk to you a couple hours a week, get to know you so I can share more and more about your life and this God-sized hole you have. And to be patient about it is my other big point. Jesus had a supernatural ability there. Another story of evangelism where patience is shown, I think, is in Acts with Paul sharing to Priscilla and Aquila, who are tent makers with him. They said that Paul went about his work every day and, sh- and shared his faith. Right there with the other tent makers, Priscilla and Aquila. And they were two of the early believers in the church in Acts. And that idea of patience, knowing people, are the next two ingredients that I would throw into the soup of evangelism. It is, first, the love motivates, have the patience to build a relationship, and knowing people can really start to paint that great picture of the God that fits into their God-sized hole. I I also think that, to add on to that, um, this doesn't always have to be with strangers, right? Uh, Michael, I think you laid out a really good um, recipe, since you're calling it a soup here. Um, you laid out a great recipe to how to engage someone that you don't know. I'd encourage you too. There's a lot of people in your life that probably believe things other than, you know, what you do. So I guess if we're assuming you're a Christian, you have non-Christians in your life. I guarantee it. And if you don't, you should. Um, those are people where you've done a lot of that work already. You've built a relationship. You have gained relational equity and trust. You have an ability to speak into their life in a really particular way that few people do. So uh, leverage that, you know, um, and I think that's part of the discipline to answer your question, Andre, um, is is trying to be constantly um, aware and cognizant of who's in your life and how can you how can you love them in that way? How can you speak into their lives? Do they tell you about uh, something they've been going through that's difficult? You know, great. Listen to them, care for them, be with them, but offer them hope. Um, you know, I, I think we're in so many opportunities that we could um, care for people by telling them the truth of the gospel uh, and, and we don't because it's awkward and it's even probably, I would argue more awkward for people, you know, cause then because yeah, great. You've got a relational equity. That's equity. You can lose if you burn a bridge or you say something, you lose their trust. So, um, I guess that presents a whole new factor, a whole new set of challenges. But again, ask, ask the question, why, what's your motivation behind it? it? You know, if you're choosing not to do it, why is that? Is that because you're afraid and you're more afraid of them than you are loving them? I don't know. Good, good questions to chew on at least. I think another element of the discipline comes in and, and maybe you, this is where you just have to hold yourself accountable. I think with all these spiritual disciplines, accountability is a really helpful tool. But one thing that comes to mind for me is when, when, um, there's like an underhand pitch thrown at you for a spiritual conversation or to, uh, to ask a probing question or to suggest how the truth of Christ brings light and life to 
the darker corners of our life, you should swing at those pitches. <laughs> I so often get those and I regret and feel that that is a, a failure to exercise discipline when somebody says something, you know, whatever, something like it's been really hard. I hope things get, get better. And I know that they're not looking, you know, they're not looking for Christ to be that thing that gets better. They're looking for the world to start serving them what they want, which I know is never going to happen. And, and, and then, and I just say like, yeah, me too, <laughs> which is completely not the right thing to say. It's such a good opportunity to bring in that truth and to, to dig in a little bit to, do you really think the world is gonna, you know, like, mm. how has it served you so far, you know, and, and mm -hmm. to start peeling layers away. Yeah. I, I think you're bringing up a, a really interesting point, which is kind of my last ingredient that's coming to mind as we go is uh, as I stir this soup, so to speak, is once I was going on a, a mission trip to Mexico and I, I think I was 14 at the time and we were talking as a group before we were going to go down there and we were reading the verse about how unbelievers are blinded. They can't see the truth. And my 16-year-old sister goes, well, I know there's another verse that says we are the aroma of Christ. So maybe if they can't see us, they can smell us. So how do we have the aroma of Christ? The loving, the knowing people, the patience, those ingredients, those are your vegetables. They don't taste great unless they're seasoned with a little salt and smell good. What is that? What is that aroma? It's the Holy Spirit. And that's where I think any evangelism you do, any sharing you do, must be done through prayer. That is the secret weapon. That is the saltiness. And that is what's going to give you the confidence to hit those underhand pitches, because I struggle with that too, but also give you those underhand pitches. That was something I noticed in my yeah, life, is when I prayed for opportunities yeah. to share with seven specific guys in my freshman dorm, I got more opportunities of those underhand pitches than I ever thought possible. Yeah. And I was ready because I was praying for it and the Lord is preparing me. So I say that to all of our listeners out there who feel like sharing your faith is this big thing that you must do. Hey, God's got you. God's got you. Have your meat and potatoes ready, meaning you're there with the truth in love and you're there to listen to know people. That's your meat and potatoes. That's your be a good person and be listening. But your secret weapon, your saltiness is that it's not on you. It's on the Lord. And go into this stuff drenched in prayer and live a life drenched in prayer. And you're going to have those underhand pitches and you can knock them out of the park then because God is with you and he's by your side. And he's the one that's responsible for changing people's hearts and it's not on you. So that's my evangelism soup. I hope listeners know that I did not bring that anywhere. There's no notes in front of me. That was awesome. Mike. <laughs> and now you know the special ingredient, the secret ingredient. Um, it's the Holy Spirit. Uh, I love that. And I think one one other thing that I'd be remiss if I didn't say is that um, I I absolutely completely one hundred percent agree that the Holy Spirit is if you do it uh, apart from that it's not going to work. Not only will you not have the same opportunities, it will not be effective. Um, I think I've seen this many times. Of you can't convince people if that they're wrong. You cannot logic someone out of this. I have Ooh. tried. Michael has been with there with me. <laughs> in very frustrating situations oh, when we have tried, yeah. we've yep. walked logical circles around people. But when someone believes a worldview, it takes a lot to change their view of that world. Um, 
for a lot of reasons. And it's going to take a supernatural thing um, because they are blind. Yes. Um, and but God, God is the light. And he, you know, we're told that he opens eyes of the blind and conversion is an, is probably no genuinely is the most powerful miracle out there. It's, you know, it's creating a new crea- a creature. It's raising the dead to the life. Um, so trying to do that alone is um, is fruitless. But I, I don't want to to focus on that without remembering the need to prepare, right? So First Peter 3.15 tells us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and with respect. So um, that's something practical as part of this discipline where um, it's going to be easier to do it uh, if you are confident about what you believe. So it is going to take some work if you're not at a place where you are sure what you believe. Um, ask those questions and do the work up front. But I can promise you there's no better way of learning what you don't know than evangelism because they're going to point it out. They're going to find it. And uh, I think you should just say, I don't know. Don't don't BS them. Don't try to make something up that just makes sense. Be honest go back and uh, tell them, let's meet up again. I need to look, I need to research that. Um, and I think that's a good way to remember how it's a discipline, right? It takes work and it's going to be the easier the next time. And the next time we've compared spiritual disciplines to running a marathon. And it's the same way. It's the first time that you put your running shoes on and you get out the door. That's the hardest day. And every day after that, you're running a little further, a little faster. So at some point you just got to do it and you got to trust God to carry you along the way. Yep, and that's maybe a good place to wrap it up. Um, yeah, thanks, Matt, for bringing that up as well. I think the big takeaway here is build your character to be loving, to be knowledgeable about the truth, and then go drenched in prayers you share uh, with those around you that you know and those around you that you don't. Um, thank you all for listening today. I I do hope that our verbal processing was helpful for your edification. Um, This has been TPM episode, I don't know the number, on spiritual disciplines and evangelism. Uh, Yeah, feel free to hit that like button, heart, subscribe, tell your friends. Um, We're just starting to feel like we're good enough to start sharing this, so we'd really appreciate your help. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.